Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. I'm Rob McLeod. This is a podcast for parents, teachers, or students who are interested in reinventing education. Welcome to part two of what is a developmental school. So far on our Reinventing Education podcast, we've tried to lay out the different values that inform what education looks like. We've described a model of school which began as a place centered on self-discipline, favoring adherence to authority and obedience, which gave way to a more competition-led, meritocratic place with individualized ambition and success at its core. This is currently moving towards a sensitivity-led mindset that puts forward the greatest importance on inclusion and the deconstruction of education as it's been historically known. Right now, all three of these paradigms exist and cohabit in our schools. So given that each student is at a different developmental point in their lives, the conclusion we drew from this multiple mindsets idea is that the best school would be one that skillfully navigates all the previous paradigms in their healthiest, most life-affirming version and apply them when the context best suits. We call this a development or transformational school, yellow or teal or integral if you're into those kinds of jargons. In episodes 9 through 14, we interviewed six educators, practitioners of this developmental mindset. And then in the last episode, we attempted to summarize and comment on these interviews with the aim of finding themes and clues as to what a developmentally minded school might look like. In actuality, we did not get to the school element of the discussion, as we spent the time discussing the wider context that each interviewee spoke of, this being the shared subscription to a belief that humans develop through distinct stages characterized by qualitative differences in behavior, with each becoming more complex as it seeks to address the problems arising from previous stages. All of our guests spoke of a constant, underlying aim that with conscious and authentic awareness of values and life choices, we can explore a wider and more wakeful human potential. These ideas are based on the spiral dynamics concept model developed by Claire Graves, Don Beck, and others. So today, taking the key idea that a child will develop through stages until they meet the stage that the adults around them are at, Myself and Brendan O'Leary will attempt to return to the interviews so as to put together the beginnings of a model of what a developmental, transformational school could look like. Brendan O'Leary. Rob McLeod. So, we... Good God, did you hear that? Yeah, it was the, those are the pigeons, the Belgian pigeons. Those are just my rafters shaking in a windstorm here. Well, let's hope that happens frequently in our discussion yeah. today. Good omens. This is an ominous way to start with those omens. Mm. Part two. <laughs> Part two. We've tried to summarize the six interviews we did with cutting edge educators. And now we're trying to find the through lines that we found between all these conversations. Part one. We spent our entire time talking about defining development and really making the case for what 
a school looks like that values development. And now we're going to try and get into a little bit more of the concrete stuff, away from the huge abstract of our first part into some of the day-to-day -day nuts and bolts. Yeah, we didn't get too deep into the school aspect of it. We talked a lot about the, uh, the, the, the connection that all the interviewees had that, were, that was that they all subscribed to this idea of human development in, in phases or steps, which is, I guess, comes from the spiral dynamics background that you have uh, also have a background in. And um, so actually it was really interesting because we've talked for a little while about needing to maybe do an episode where we unpacked what that was all about. And I think that that episode, the last one we did, could possibly serve as that, as kind of setting the context for um, the through line uh, in all the episodes, regardless of whether they talk about school or which aspect of school. So I think we talked a lot there, and I think it was a good setup. So if you, if you haven't heard that and you're listening to, to this, maybe it's good to go back and have a little bit of a listen. But I don't think um, we're going to say anything here that would, would totally um, blindside anybody who hasn't listened to the previous episode. So let's leap right into what should have been our second topic of discussion. But um, this is the actual institution of the school itself. And we're kind of going to look at this um, in three smaller chunks, such as the, the overall belief of how a school becomes a developmental-centered institution. Um, this ongoing idea of school needing to be responsive to the needs of the community, a developmental school, um, and the idea of leadership within the school becoming more horizontal or more shared responsibility for leadership. So those were some big themes that came up regarding the big picture of school. Um, so if we start off first with how the different um, people we interviewed kind of just described the whole purpose of their school, um, and we, we've got the notes here in front of us, and, and this, this word I've actually heard a couple times since in different contexts of the idea of school being a container for students, I'm not. When Chris Baum from the Millennial School, Millennium School first um, said this, I wasn't sure about the, um, the kind of, how to receive that word of school being described as a container. Yeah, what was your initial reaction to that? What did well, a container is a box, right? And it's like you're describing your school as a, as a box that you just put students into I just imagine them running around this little box like banging against the walls and I was like that doesn't, doesn't that doesn't sound like the kind of, the, the kind of metaphor I would use but obviously he as he described it more and as I've heard this used in other in other contexts including you used it I think in a conversation we had a, a little uh, a few days ago um so maybe I can flip that back onto you before I, I kind of like take a wild guess at what I think um, 
it could mean and give me your thoughts on what that idea of a school is a container for students well i've always struggled with defining this idea of container because i think it's a word that gets thrown around a lot in developmental circles and in integral circles if you will and people talk about setting the container for an event for example and to me it's almost like you're setting up the playground you're mapping out an environment, a space to play, the shared agreements between people. It's like you're kind of creating a little mini universe. It's something mm. we do. It's something we do everywhere. I think maybe in more layman's term, it's just context setting to some degree. But in this school example with the idea of container, it's also really about the physical space. So yeah. if you're creating a space where human beings, in this case students and children, are spending their time What does the place physically need to be like? Socially, what does it need to be like? And how can those support the kinds of behaviors you want? And in that sense, you've created a container for your school, for these students. Sure. And the way Chris described it was that it it wasn't restrictive in the sense that it was the boundaries were there to allow students to have a safe place where they can figure out who they are and not safe as in all risk is removed but safe as in just a place where the where the the, uh, teachers and the the adults there and the other students were very understanding of that wherever you are at right now wherever you're starting from is a right and a good place to start on the journey that you're you're going to take um and then I think Armin was probably the next person that spoke a lot about this kind of idea of setting up school, the institution of school and the philosophy that under, underlies it was the idea of listening, not knowing, being honest, being vulnerable as an entire institution and um, listening to the community, listening to what is going on around you and um, yeah, I think we'll come back to this idea a lot of listening and not necessarily knowing or offering solutions right away. I just wanted to throw that in there because I think that's a really big picture underlying value of a lot of these um, developmental, developmentally minded educators. And I think that's a new one that comes online full force at the developmental level of schooling. The idea of awareness and attention to what's arising in the school. We use the word listening there. I think maybe words like presence or attention or other synonyms we could throw in here of really paying attention to what's happening within the place, within the culture, within people, hearing perspectives, being present to what is happening. And combined with that, the not knowing is being said not out of incompetence. It's not a matter of like, oh, it doesn't matter if your teachers know what to do. It doesn't matter if they understand the curriculum or, or even understand the basics of child, you know, healthy child psychological development. That's yeah, okay if you don't know. We're obviously not talking about not knowing in the um, dysfunctional sense, but not knowing with the idea that new things can arise beyond your, let's say, limited perspective. 
that sounds a little bit negative. Maybe a more positive way to say is um, you don't have to worry or be self-conscious about the making of mistakes and the need to constantly be in a position of knowing and authority, which allows more vulnerability and authenticity into the interactions within a school. Because you don't always have to have your guard up that you always have to have an answer and action. You can surrender at times to allowing something else arise than what you may have thought or planned to be the best. Yeah, and I, I think everybody as a teacher has experienced being asked a question or being put in a position where you don't quite know. And I think this idea of, obviously with a fact-based question, we're much more comfortable in saying, well, that's a really difficult question. I don't quite know the answer to this, but I can tell you what I do know or I can set you. But I think we're talking in a bigger picture of like, how do we organize our learning? How do we organize our community so that it best serves people? And uh, Armin was, again, came back to this idea that maybe a solutions-led approach didn't necessarily work or suit. And that's, I think that's a, a very hard concept to get um, acceptance of with, with in a lot of places that withholding your judgment or, or not making a judgment immediately doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to drive off the edge of the cliff and destroy everything. It's like th there's got to be a level of trust there that says, okay, um, we're heading into a place that we don't necessarily know. We've obviously got to keep our eyes open. We've got to be aware of what's happening, read the signs. But there's a lot of opportunities here as well. Um, and so I think that's... Yeah. A balance between action and surrender, perhaps, is maybe the one way to think of this. And at times, you know, in the moment, if you're present and not just in your habitual daily patterns, which are insanely easy to be in when you're a teacher in a fast-paced environment, I admit I spend most of my day just in a habitual reactionary state of mind. But in those moments where you can slow down, presence yourself, listen, pay attention, no, notice your body, bring some presence into your interactions. What you begin to notice is things don't have to just be the way they are playing out. And I won't put words in Armin's mouth, but I know um, looking at the work of Otto Scharmer and looking at uh, Theory U, one of the things that can happen when you say you don't know or can surrender into not knowing maybe where things should go immediately, you can step out of the pattern of needing to reinforce what already is present. If we have that quick answer, we have immediate certainty of, oh, I'm just going to do this. Oh, I need to do this. Here's a quick fix. That tends to be a maintenance of the patterns of the flow of what's already happening. It's like, you know, the grooves within a stone of where the water is going. If you already know you've got a clear vision, you're probably going to continue to cut those grooves within the rock. And then it's really easy to stay within those grooves. And that can be fine and important. 
But as we're talking about the developmental mindset, we're talking about a school that's centered around the idea of helping people grow through stages of development. There needs to be a space for some of that novelty and newness and new ways of being, new patterns. And sometimes that surrendering and the admission of not knowing, the inviting in of that can allow for a new way of being or a new pattern to take root. Yeah, and I think the guys from um, possibly the Romanian university talked about ideas transferring naturally at their own pace, spreading through the institution. Um, that's obviously a very nerve-wracking place to be or hard to do to, to watch ideas unfold rather than to impose ideas. Obviously, you've got to manage those ideas and work with them and bring out the best. Um, but they don't necessarily need to be imposed from the outside. And I think that is something in schools we impose a lot from the outside, some out of necessity from uh, governmental systems or and some out of uh, a necessity that we feel uh, is being expected from, from others. And then some just from good ideas we see other places that we bring in. Um, but I think what we saw with a lot of the people we spoke to is that they're not necessarily, I mean, they're certainly not ignoring outside ideas, but they're trying to give enough space within their institution and their community to let these ideas develop. And then they critique them, reflect on them, change them. And again, the guys from the Romanian university talked a lot about how they had to keep changing their structure and their processes to kind of better serve the students. Um, and just a couple of the, of the things I, before we move on maybe to the next little section about uh, school is that um, some of the phrases would do to discover yourself better we want the people in our school to discover themselves better and it's a place for individual and collective growth uh, consciousness guiding us through where we are and um, all of the sections within the school connected by their values and beliefs, this same developmental set of values and beliefs. Um, yeah. Did you want to speak on any of that or are we good to move? Yeah. The one point, just to go back a little bit to the idea of why it's important for not knowing and connecting that to what you had just said of the idea of people uncovering themselves. I think if you have strong, I won't maybe use strong, but <laughs> beneficially developed humans who are in touch with a strong sense of themselves, those people have the potential to bring more to a group. Wider perspectives, grander perspectives perhaps um, that may be beneficial to the to a group as a living organism and one of the benefits to the not knowing and the surrendering is you allow the group's collective wisdom and silka vice from learn culture in germany talked about this about how no one neuron in the brain is holds more intelligence than all the neurons put together 
or, you know, mm. there's no one piece of the puzzle that is stronger than the puzzle as a whole. But if you have strong individuals who are really developing and gaining wider perspectives and developing in cognitive and kinesthetic and interpersonal and emotional capacities, intrapersonal capacities, all these things, you have people who have what I might describe as more potential to bring to the group. And when you can surrender a bit more to the group, you open up to more potential collective wisdom about better ways to proceed than any one individual could have come to. Yeah, I mean, this is an idea that's, that's the idea that we're, the, the, the two heads are better than one or the, the, the group mindset can develop more good ideas. Obviously, the flip side of that is the, is the mob mentality. But what you're kind of describing is that if the individuals within that group are developed in the sense of being self-aware, being empathetic, uh, and the values that we've described as developmental, then they are much more likely to have positive outcomes. And if we let the group work together and speak and develop, the group as a whole will present itself with better um, steps moving forward than any individual, which is an argument for a grassroots horizontal organization rather than a top-down. But obviously... When we get to a discussion about the horizontal organization of schools, there's obviously some pros and cons of moving towards or moving away from a hierarchical system into a horizontal one. Yeah, um, very importantly there, you know, I'm, I'm not saying a developmental group is immune from turning into a mob, for sure. But if you look at what each individual can bring to a Oh, I'm going to sound like such a hippie saying this, but like to a collective group's field or like into that container of a group. They don't all live in fields. I, I know <laughs> this is your experience with your, with your caftan and your, and your herbs out in your field. But come on, Rob, some of these guys have houses. <laughs> what I'm, wow, you've just friggin' thrown me off, O'Leary. I was trying to make the best possible point. <laughs> This right now, this is an example of how two heads are not necessarily better than one. No, what I was saying was, um, if you want to have a team and you can make a team out of 10 people, if I want to make a team out of 10 people, I want nine people who are vertically and horizontally developed in various skills so that the greatest number of skills and capacities may be present within the group. I'm also very aware of research that shows that a group, let's say, for lack of better terms, that has 10 experts and one idiot in the group generate better ideas than the group that has 11 experts. Because I realize there's a place for devil's advocates and I realize there's a place for just completely left field perspectives. But um, I think any group is enriched by having the widest and highest levels of capacities brought to it. And I think that's what a lot of these schools were talking about is the more you can bring online within individuals and then bring them into the group setting, 
that will serve the institution, that will serve the school as control and leadership of the school is handed over more horizontally to students, to parents, to community members. This is a point that we're, we're going to keep coming back to when we talk about students and especially when we talk about teachers. So when we get to those points in the discussion, this is a, a, the, the, the key point essentially running through everything is the, the, the quality or the level or the mindset of the teachers that then uh, becomes the mindset of the students also in the sense that as again we talked about in the last uh, episode the belief being that students or children will only develop to the level or to, to have the capacity of thought and complexity um, on average to the adults that are around them so um one little caveat, I guess, before we move on is that a lot of what we're talking about might sound um, similar to what we might have called the sensitivity school in some of our episodes, which is a school that's very based on inclusion, very based on deconstructing education. But, um, and in the spiral dynamics color, this would be uh, green, I guess. And Armin actually said a green school where connection and harmony was imperative actually wasn't necessarily working for them because in in uh, that time they felt that actually rules even beneficial rules were kind of avoided they didn't necessarily feel like they were um good for the institution and just, and conflict just was you're saying that yeah. within that sensitivity paradigm the idea of rules were not beneficial that's what I mean. So I think the way I understood Armin's description was that at that point, the school, rather than operating in a de de developmental mindset, was operating more in the sensitivity, inclusion, deconstructivist mindset, um, because it was essentially a special needs school trying to bring students in who weren't able to function in the mainstream school. So to bring them in and then to be a very inclusive place, but within that mindset, within that paradigm, conflict and rules were kind of avoided because it was kind of felt that they were, I again, I don't want to put words into anyone's mouth, but it kind of suggested like it felt like they were just going to be another uh, thing for students to have to battle against or to, to face in their day-to-day -day kind of challenges. And... Um, but Armin was suggesting that they had to move beyond that. Um, I'll just throw that back over to you because I, I guess this is the big the thing we've talked about before because the sensitivity paradigm obviously has so many positives going for it. It is a very inclusive place and it's looking to make education more meaningful for all students. But the step beyond that or the step we're talking about of developmental is different in a crucial way. And I think Armin, with that kind of statement, hit on it. Did you, do you want to just um, talk on that for a minute or so? Yeah, if we're to distinguish between the sensitivity paradigm and the developmental paradigm, we see the shift back towards explicit rules, I would say. And I think this is where it's easy or can be easy to look at the developmental approach and begin to think it's 
something from way back in the self-discipline or possibly ambition paradigm. Because what happens as you move from self-discipline to ambition into sensitivity, at sensitivity, you see how school itself has not been focused on inclusion and actually has been very exclusive. It's been very damning, damaging, not meeting individual student needs. And I think it's a necessary developmental step that at sensitivity, at this green level of education, we seek to ensure that school itself is not exclusionary. And one of the battles, and I might even say performative contradictions at the sensitive level is we tend to distance ourselves from the demands of the school itself. We tend to step back because our whole sense of what we should be doing is based around inclusion and sensitivity and rules and expectations that are imposed on a student might not allow for total sensitivity and inclusion because we might we have to put our foot down and say no you are not allowed to do that or conversely hey, we expect this of you. So there's this, the meeting of one of the limits of sensitivity when you look at rules, you find that conflict point of saying, our whole idea of what we should be doing at school is based around the sensitivity towards the individual and wanting to include them. But at some point along the spectrum of behavior, of morals of worldview we do have to draw a line or else this organism can't function we can't allow you to do just whatever you want and there is a need for the enforcement of the institution to step in and the institution to say yeah here are our boundaries here are the limits of our container you can and cannot do this here and that instantly like feeds back and, and there's a fight within yourself, a cognitive dissonance within sensitivity where you have to go, yeah, but here we, we do have to put our foot down and demand this. That's in the absolute abstract. That's in the abstract. But in the day to day, you know, and I, I can feel this still within myself, you know, a few years back where I would say I was very much a teacher in the sensitivity paradigm of, you know, when I had to step in and break up two kids fighting, there was some internal dissonance of me of like, oh, I hate having to speak for a larger system and not just let you guys be where you're at. But you also just can't be beating the crap out of each other. Like, this is also not okay. I can't be sensitive and include this in what we're doing here. I think as we, in the next set of episodes where we look at health, and unhealth or the healthy and unhealthy versions of the three paradigms we've talked about, we will obviously get into that discussion because that's quite a new kind of idea because when you speak to someone who's in the kind of um, self, um, sorry, the inclusion sensitivity paradigm, they will often say, this is the best, this is the one. Whereas I 
I guess the people who work in a more old school, like hierarchical, they can at least see, maybe I'm giving too much credit, but they can see that there are other people in other places doing things that are maybe not right, but at least they can see that why they're doing it. Whereas this sensitivity paradigm feels like it's the new thing and it's the right thing and it's how we should act in 2018. And of course it is, but then it doesn't take very long to be with an educator who's in that mindset before you have a discussion about where the boundaries are. And it feels sometimes like we want to spend more time defining that. And I think the developmental mindset would actually say, well, we all know there are boundaries. Let's spend some time talking about where those boundaries are and why they are there. And there's some negotiables, some non-negotiables, because there are things that if we let them happen, they will destroy the institution, they will destroy individuals, and we're not going to allow that to happen. So that, I think this that, is... That is where our talking. conversation goes next. And you know, this is, I think we're now just setting up where future episodes of our podcast will go, which is to say... There's healthy sides and unhealthy sides to all of these values. And the shift from sensitivity into development is to say, look, at development, we have to acknowledge that we are an institution as a school. We are a community as a school. And there are demands. There are basic level demands that if they are not met, we don't have an institution. We don't have a place. It's like there are ne- like the same way humans have a the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you need water, you need air, you need food, or else you're not going to exist. Organizations, cultures, equally have bare necessity needs that have to be met. And through our systems and structures, we put these demands on the students to say, "Hey, we can provide you an experience, but there are." certain base level needs that have to be met or else this can't happen at all. And at the developmental value, I think our game becomes how do we ensure that the demands we put forth serve students, serve the culture and are the healthiest possible demands. And we're not, we're not putting demands on students that are unnecessary useless, or most importantly, harmful. And I think that's what sensitivity is trying to do, is it's trying to say, how can we take out all the harm from school, but throws a bit of the baby out with the bathwater? And then at development, we say, no, no, we have demands. We can't throw them out. Or we can't minimize them. Instead, let's bring them back onto the table and ensure they're worthwhile demands. I think without straw manning the, the green or sensitivity school, it would be like when you start asking yourself those questions, then you're moving towards becoming developmental anyway. And if you're in a position where there's a nagging feeling that maybe we need to put something more in place. I mean, uh, the place where I've just been, it's like we're putting, um, we've always had um, policies in place, but, in the past, maybe those policy was were somewhat uh, more open or not as clear. And I, 
I think uh, what the institution realized over the last few years is those policies serve us better when they are clearer and more specific. I think the other thing is about when you get to developmental, there is more context. I think you take into account more contexts. I think the danger is if you're operating from the point of view of only sensitivity or, or mainly sensitivity is that you're just, you'll see everybody through that lens. And we've talked about this before of teachers who have students in their classroom who are running wild or causing real problems, but because they're viewed through this sensitivity lens, it may be as seen as just, they're just expressing their, 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 their nature and that's good and that's positive. But what, what, when, what happens when that positivity spills over and has negative implications for themselves, for others, and then you have to put some um, walls in place in that container or some, some rules in place. And then it's about what we'll talk about much more is that skillful kind of managing the context. Each student, each class, each institution – and each day is operating in a slightly different way and needs a different mixture of those three uh, different paradigms of the self-discipline, the ambition, and the sensitivity to serve what is kind of best, shall we say. Just, <laughs> just, just best. <laughs> We're just trying to do the best. The very best. <laughs> and I think to come full circle in this discussion – how do you figure out what is best? And we're saying this with huge grins on our faces, realizing best is a loaded term. But how do you find out what's best? Well, you're present and you listen to the context and you're aware of what's arising in the group and within the school. And that, that presence to what is occurring leads you to the discernment of knowing what is the best mix of what's needed for this context? Or that's, that's the belief and the, the, the now versus the now versus the not now is a question that keeps popping up. And, it, and this is again, the, the point we're coming on to now is schools responsive to the needs of the community. Um, and again, going back to Armin a lot here, but he talked about adaptive intelligences. Now, is that a phrase you've come across before? No. He said adaptive intelligence is as the driving forces of the framework, which for me as a, as a systems lover, is just beautiful language. Adaptive intelligence is as the driving force of the framework, because that's your perfect framework in a way. That's the framework that responds and changes to the needs of everybody that is using the framework. And so that's, that's a kind of knowing, knowing you, I, I can infer why you like this and love that. Can you just zoom in on that a little bit? Cause I, there's a lot there. And I think this is a new idea. When I, when I talk about how I'm, de- how I design um, courses or design even lessons and units, it's very much about this idea that you want to have a, a, a basic framework in place. So say if you're planning an inquiry, you have to start with the idea of tuning into the inquiry and knowing what you already know. 
what you might want to know before you move into a finding out phase, which can be very broad. It can be scientific, artistic, it can be sociological. And then you kind of narrow back down again to what you want to go into further before then taking some kind of action on it and sharing that information. Um, now that's a very open framework. And if you have a good understanding of the, the limits of that framework and how it works, it can be very kind of powerful to take that to a group of people and then manage them or help them support them through that process. So that's kind of um, the, those kind of like more fluid or open frameworks and systems that, that, that can be negotiated and have a lot of scope, but still they're going to take you from, point a to a point b it's not a wild open just running running wild into the wind kind of uh, experience there's there's yeah, a framework of, and if i can put my own words to it because you know it took yeah. you were very patient with me but it took me the better part of two years working with you to realize the simplicity of what you're actually just saying in my own words i would say this inquiry process these series of steps are a series of steps you can take when approaching a topic or a new area of study that will make your learning, let's say, meaningful, or at least balance, say, the institution's needs with the individual's interests. And that was the one point I didn't quite get to of, you can, prevent, you can present healthy steps or consciously intentional steps to serve a student to say, in your example with the inquiry, Hey, we're going to present you with some information. We're also going to see what you already know, but we're going to present you some facts. So you've got some schema, you've got a framework, you've got some stuff to connect this to. So let's say, you know, we're studying ecosystems. We're going to learn about a few plants. We're going to learn about, you know, some conventional lessons on the basics of how an ecosystem works, but then we're going to open it up to what you are interested in and you can get specific on this. And I'm going to set you up for how you inquire into the thing you are interested in. Then we're going to like report back, present on it, and then go further with some kind of action you can take so that each of these steps or each of these phases is meaningful. I just wanted to present that kind of context as you move on to your next step. Because we're talking about how do you structure and scaffold and support meaningful experiences yeah well that's this is a bit of a tangent i guess into the models of teaching which we i guess we're not going to get to today but i think the way to go back to the original phrase there it, it it is similar in the sense that this almost what armin's talking about is even broader than that in the sense that the community as a whole has their framework set up like we're saying with the similar to an inquiry cycle or some kind of set of steps or processes they take. But the, the intelligence of the people inside the system and the people that are working there, they're adapting to each other. They're adapting to what's coming up in the group and what's available in the world. And that's driving the actual framework itself. So the inquiry cycle is actually somewhat static. It's hard to it's very very open but there's three or four steps that you cannot really go beyond it, what i'd be interested to see 
and of course this the, any institution will still follow some type of um review process but it's interesting to see i'd be very interested to see in practice how a group of 50 or so people uses their own intelligences and adapts to what each person is doing to move forward the entire school and then redefine what that school and the container and the curriculum and the interactions look like um because it again this is more personal but it appeals to my sense of certainty and wisdom at the same time this idea that it's like there are some things that are certain but they are only like nodes in the network that can be moved and expanded but you know trust that there is a network there trust that there is a system underlying it let's get a really good knowledge of that system but let's also know where its limitations are and how we can change it and actually yeah change the system itself as well as the individuals inside it I love what we're hitting on, and I think this is <laughs> I don't think you're going to find this discussion anywhere else currently in education. I'd be interested to see to connect this back maybe to an analogy to make this more digestible, even for myself right now. Let's use the context of we're designing a board game. This is analogous to saying, hey, we want to create a developmental school. Here is our objective. Our objective is to serve the personal development of the individuals who enter our school to the maximum possible, both horizontally, so the stage they're at. We're not trying to rush them up to the next stage, but we want the healthiest possible horizontal development for an individual that they fully embody and experience the stage of development they're at. And we ensure the healthiest transition to the next stages. And we do not limit their vertical development. We do not hinder their vertical development, which you could argue is happening at some of the previous stages. So let's say that's the game we're trying to invent. If we were inventing a board game, and let's say we had a similar vision in mind, this idea of adaptive intelligences and the flexible systems and structures basically says, well, let's start playing the game. And then once we get playing the game, maybe we realize we should alter the game itself. Maybe there's new cards that weren't in the first iteration of the game. And, oh, let's change the point system we've been using. And, oh, let's add some different objectives within the game itself. This is not a competitive me against you moving the goalpost kind of change though which we do see in more of an ambition or even a self-discipline kind of place where it's like we're going to move the goalposts we're going to change some of the rules but we might not necessarily tell everybody it's happening or or work on it together you're talking about this the they are developing explicitly through the community mm -hmm. yeah is that right yeah and that well and it could also involve the changing of the goalposts it might say, yeah, you know, originally you had to, you had to run 100 meters to get the touchdown in this game. Now it's 200 meters. or Like that's also on the table. But, um, okay, that's on the table too, but not in the sense necessarily of um, a Machiavellian 
me undermining you or me punishing you or me tricking you or trying to get one up on you? Or is that also still on the table? Because <laughs> that's an unhealthy thing possibly to... Yeah, but this is the thing. Like developmental schools are not immune from immune to problems. They're not immune to unhealthiness. They're not the perfect solution. And if we all just did this, everything would be perfect. There are difficulties here, but hopefully you would consciously not add that um, if If it wasn't serving development. You would only add it if it was serving development, I guess. And you would change it if it wasn't. Yeah. So it's not to say that every, yeah, I get you. There are places where it, where it may be beneficial for there to be competition in certain areas and for people to not know, know every piece of information, but it would have to be in a developmental school. I'd be really interested, and I don't know how that would look different to a Machiavellian political intrigue where <laughs> where it's literally changing the goalposts here and trying to get one up on you so I can gain some more power or whatever in the developmental system. It would be from very different aims. And I'd be interested to see that. If we could think of a scenario where that would be developmentally appropriate, <laughs> but I'm going to leave that for now. Yeah. I think we've got about five more minutes before we... Need to yeah. wrap up. And I and I don't want to get too stuck in just this aspect of this kind of game analogy. In the broader sense, I guess what I was trying to say is the idea of adapting systems is a focus within development because you're looking to alter the container itself in response to the ways that are best meeting the community's needs. And you know, it's there's like a cause and effect relationship here of the system as it's presented has an impact on the community of the school. And that's the community at the student level, the staff level, the broader societal level, and in between all of those levels and more. And as it has an impact, those individuals then can have an impact back on the system. So there is this feedback loop between the two. And I, I would argue that that's happening at all of these stages of schooling. That's happening at the self-discipline, the ambition, and the sensitivity yeah. value. But di- the developmental value brings it in and explicitly says, yeah, and that interaction, that exchange is going to be made explicit, acknowledged, and that's part of how we function. I think that's the difference. Is I think maybe the other paradigms, even if... If you're within that and you can see how some of the game is working, it maybe is not explicit because I think as soon as you explicitly see how your paradigm is working or try to start prodding at it and looking at it, you'll then start to see the benefits of the other paradigms or the other mindsets and take on board parts of theirs and work through that system. So eventually you would get to the point I imagine that we're trying to get to where it's like we've, again, I want to straw man these kind of like systems, but we've got three models in operation based on three different mindsets and we can see the benefits and the the health and the unhealth of each of them. 
or we were aiming to, we're hoping to, we're hoping to define that, make that explicit. And then we're hoping to be very, become really good at applying those contexts, the healthy context of each of those mindsets in the right place at the right time. And you would only know the right place in the right time if you're being aware of what's happening around you. And I wanted to just drop in a line here um, again from Chris at the Millennium School that said, when, when you're focusing on what's next, you don't understand what's happening now. And again, going back to that now and not now and now and next. For me, you, can, you know I keep coming back to this because it is, it is real it is it's a real kind of like question for me. How do you do that? How do you be in the now and, and not, you know, end up driving off the cliff? And obviously, I'm not an idiot. I know that you don't just live in the now and have absolutely no plans or no, integ- you know, or no ideas of what's coming next. But I'm a very practical person. I'm like, how do you do that in a school? How do you do that in a classroom? How do you do that as a person, as a as a father, as a as a friend? And so, I, you know, over the next many episodes, coming down from up here in the clouds and then talking about actually when you step into that classroom or when you're talking to somebody, how do you do that now? without the next or the not now part suffering. Um, so I think that, that inquiry, the question you posed, I think yeah. is the active inquiry that's constantly happening when you are operating from the developmental value. Okay. So I'm right. Good. Thanks. Got it. Thanks, Rob. Got it. <laughs> thought we need more episodes <laughs> and <laughs> I, well, i'm joking and i there's a part of me that feels that's the cop-out answer but i think if that's an inquiry you are engaged in and it is directing or influencing mm-hmm. what you are doing how you're relating and how you're setting up your container then you're operating from that developmental value because you're looking at how can I alter these systems? How can I alter this or not alter, but how can I be with this interaction? What should we do that serves what's arising now with the belief, with the belief that being in tune with what is serving the now will continue to serve what is coming next. Well, this, I, idea that you that we've talked about before and you brought several times of the map not being the territory so the the model we have in our head of this container what we want to do is you know prod at the edges and talk about it and discuss it and work on it get a really high resolution or a really good understanding of what it is but with the knowledge that it's our model that we have in our head written down or even that what we've said and thought is never actually going to describe what's happening inside that school. It's way more complex than we can ever get. We're trying to do our very best to understand what's happening 
And then once you start to think of it that way, then these kind of lines that we're drawing, it's just our best attempt to set up an institution or a place where this kind of developmental mindset can happen and grow because we believe that it is the healthiest way to live and move forward. And it it's the healthiest, and maybe I'll just qualify that by saying it's the healthiest or perhaps most advantageous or adaptive to the conditions of our world as it is right now. And I guess maybe this is the kind of closing point here to say, why be into this developmental value rather than the other three? And I'd just say, well, if you believe we're kind of in this VUCA world of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity, this adaptive value and its desire for a development to give you the greatest capacity for being adaptive. Um, if you see that as a beneficial way to be in the world, then this is how we should be setting up our schools. Yeah. And I think that is a good place to wrap it up. Um, there's a book called Tristan Shandy, and he starts off by describing his youth. And you think it's going to be a biography where he gets further and further into his life. But what he actually does, he, he keeps taking tiny steps backwards in time and describing them in more and more detail so that by the time you get 150 pages in, he's actually not really moved anywhere in the discussion. Um, that's kind of what I feel where we are right now because we're two, we're two chats in and we're still on like the first point. But I'm not six points that we had. Of our six points. Or actually we've done we were on point two point two of six. (laughs) But I feel that it's been valuable and I really appreciate the chat. And I think as we dig more into this, and hopefully people are interested in what we're saying, people can feed back to us. We can continue to talk on the the facebook page and on on twitter and other places and we can we i guess we're going to have to do a part three or more to kind of wrap this up but i think it's valuable to do that yeah i I think this is also just a mess (laughs) this this is us articulating this you know i think this is an active inquiry for you and i trying to summarize the connections between these interviews because it's not like this already exists and we know it and we're sharing what we know. I think you and I, you know, this podcast is us in real time thinking this through and attempting to articulate something that is being lived, but I don't know of anybody who's trying to put maps and titles and categories and lists and identifiable markers on this. The developmental value is emerging in real time and is a minority within the overall scheme of school right now. And we're trying to articulate this avant-garde of what's emerging. um, Absolutely, yeah. In in real time. And And I think the guys we spoke to are the ones that are starting to put down the markers and starting to make the 
the the documents or the or the conversations that kind of start to to plot out what this looks like and um yeah, yeah they're I, they're doing it within their individual contexts freaking brilliantly yeah. and i'm sad i'm not in all of these <laughs> places yeah, yeah. um because they just sound like where i would want to be and at the same time i think we're trying to zoom out and say oh cool you, the six of you didn't know each other here's what yeah. we noticed between you and hoping to share kind of the larger principles of what's going on so that this can spread and so that I guess we're looking at, you know, the sense of uniting or like bringing together people who have this value in service of having more of it. Because I think you and I are brainwashed and believe that this developmental value is the best thing to serve someone who's showing up in the world at this point in history. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I'm very open to have discussions. I've had a great discussion with the guy I work with, um, over the last week about this and he, he you know is asking some awesome questions that i don't have any answers to that i'm asking you and we're going back and having this positive discussion about if humans have actually developed over the last x amount of years but for me the model's holding pretty strong and I, you know without wanting to straw man i'm looking forward to going more into this these notes we have in this discussion and then in 2019 really digging into the healthy and unhealthy aspects of the three kind of mindsets we set up so thank we're you no, very much for the discussion rob we're no further than we were when we started but we're in a richer place i think that's right very nice i love when you have accept. a good christmas <laughs> <laughs> on that note thanks brendan this episode of Reinventing Education was insightful or useful to you, feel free to reach out and connect to us on social media. We enjoy having your perspective join the conversation about what reinventing education might look like. Feel free to find us on our Facebook page, Reinventing Education Podcast, and join the discussions there. From Brendan and myself, thanks for joining us.